are in the series, Christian Atheism, What Do You Really Believe? I have the privilege of kind of landing this plane. We are going to wrap up this series of Christian Atheism. I thought Pastor Rick did a great job kicking the series off. Kind of one of the controlling things throughout each of the weeks, if you remember, was this idea of what does that mean? Like that name shouldn't sit well with you. Christian atheism, how does that work? Part of how that happens is when our life and our lips diverge. When we say one thing, we say we're a Christian, but our life shows us, you see that tagline, what we really believe. Because it's easy enough to say one thing, but a bigger tell is much more often your life shows me what you really believe. Even if you say you're a Christian, your life is probably a bigger tell. And kind of wrapping that up this week with knowledge and practice, very much that life first lips. You may know Christian doctrine. You may know the Bible. But does your practice, your life, show me that? That's what I want to dive into. So we look at our life, our practice. You know, it is very clear. There should be a distinction between Christian and atheist. So an atheist's life laid out very well in this passage. Here's what the life, the practice of an atheist should be. If the dead are not raised, this is Paul. Look, if the dead are not raised, if there's no eternity, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So if heaven doesn't exist... I'm an atheist, I'm a non-Christian, I believe that this life is all there is, then just eat, drink, and be merry, live the good life. As an atheist, my life should just be, and it's consistent, I'm not condoning it, but it's consistent, look, hey, all there is is this life, live it up, sleep around, get as much money as you can, consume as much as you can. I mean, that is the doctrine of an atheist. I mean, Use your body however you want. Use other people however you want. How, you know, in atheist worldview, how do we get here? You know, it's evolution, survival of the fittest. Well, isn't that consistent then? To just look out for number one. If I don't believe in God, then I'm going to stomp on people. I'm going to push people down so I can get to the top of the ladder. Some of your workplaces look a lot like that. And as a non-believer, it makes sense. That's consistent. Man, I'm, I'm here to get mine. And so I'm going to do all that I can. I mean, that is the life of an atheist. I saw this, no joke, billboard that I saw. Life is short, get a divorce. Life is short, get a divorce. And, but again, at least it's consistent. Doesn't that make sense? Hey, life is short. This marriage is hard. Let's get a divorce. I would have showed you the billboard, but the lawyer that made this had two very scantily clad people on both ends of the billboard. It's consistent, makes the point, right? Hey, your spouse isn't doing it for you anymore. Who cares? There's another organization. I won't even tell you the name of it. Life is short. Have an affair. But isn't that consistent? If you're an atheist, look, your goal is to consume and experience as much pleasure as you can in this world. I'm not condoning it, but at least it makes sense. And it makes sense for an atheist to act like an atheist and a Christian to act like a Christian. The problem is, is when we're Christian atheists. We say, I believe God and all that, but my life looks just like that of my non-Christian neighbor. Something is not right with that. Read this with me. So the life of a Christian, the practice of a Christian is clear. Present, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. A non-Christian atheist is just going to live for this world and get as much pleasure as they can. As a Christian, we are called to be what? Holy. Fancy word. It just sounds like a nice religious word that doesn't kind of connect with our life. You know what that word holy means? Set apart. It means different. If this is what the world acts like, just living for this world, you should be different than that. If you are no different than your non-Christian neighbor, than your non-Christian coworker, you're both clawing for the almighty dollar, living just for the next raise, for the next vacation, treating people poorly along the way, using your body, your money, however you want, something should go off in your mind and say, this isn't right. Again, an atheist can act like an atheist. A Christian should act like a Christian. When somebody who says they're a Christian and says they know God, but they live like an atheist, something is wrong that should hit you funny. I had something this week kind of hit me funny. Again, like, you know, radars go off. Something's not right. I had to get a physical. (laughs) Don't worry, I passed. (laughs) I didn't get grades, but I I think I got an A. (laughs) So I had to go get a physical. I've been working on my core four. I'm getting big, you know. But not so... (laughs) So that I'm on the phone, and the lady goes, you know, she's giving me directions where to get this physical, and she goes, you know, give me the number, the address, and then she goes, go down to Medicone. <laughs> I said, what? Can you say that again? I was real nice. I wasn't mean on the phone. Medicone. I'm like, man, can you spell that? Like, what hospital is named Medicone? And so she spells it, and here's how she says it. M-E-D-I, cone. So I write it out, and I look. Ma'am, do you mean medic one? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably right. So <laughs> spell it out in your mind. So she's looking at medic one, and she goes, medicone. I'm like, something's not right. It's medic one. That's the hospital name. Some of your lives, you're going to, you're living in medicone. Like, it don't make sense. Like, it may seem right, but something's not right here. <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, yeah, that's probably right. Medic one, that's where you need to go, medic one. And it's funny, but isn't that funny with our lives? Oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Praise Jesus, I go to church, but then your life looks totally different. That should not make sense. Like some medicone should be going off your head like, ah, something's not right here. So coming out of this, again, this is harder, but I want you to feel the weight. And I'm talking to believers that this is important. If you're a non-believer, I'm not trying to throw guilt and shame on anybody. This is, you know, if you are a believer, I want you to understand the importance of holiness in your life. I want you to know the call to be different. This is not optional. This is important. So I'm going to just walk through a bunch of verses so you can begin to feel the weight of the importance of this. I didn't just cherry pick one verse here and there. Let's look at a couple of these. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. If you want to call yourself a Christian, you're saying, hey, I've given my life to Jesus. Jesus is holy and pure. To follow him is in all your conduct to pursue holiness. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I'm a follower of God. I fear God. If God tells you to do something, you do it. 
Holiness, I love to completion. Not just, hey, you know, nobody's perfect. You're not going to be that far. You know, maybe just take a step here and there. No, we're called in the fear of God to bring holiness to completion in our lives as believers. Another verse, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. If you want to disregard, if you want to separate your knowledge and call yourself a Christian from your practice in your life, this is not an option. In doing that, you are disregarding God. God says, look, to be a follower of mine is to pursue holiness. Anything else is a complete disregard of God. He himself bore our sins, another verse, in his body on the tree. Why? Why did Jesus come? Not that we can just be forgiven and go live the good life and live it up and just pursue pleasure like the rest of the world. Why did he do it? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That is the call. That is what we are to be about. Death to sin and live to righteousness. Another verse, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Are you starting to feel this yet? The weight of this. Not, okay, nobody's perfect, we all mess up. No, if there is sin and anything in your life, put it away. Put all filthiness and wickedness aside. There's one more, and hopefully this drives home the point. This is from the very mouth of Christ. And separating, yeah, you want to, I want to call myself a Christian, but not live it out. This is Jesus. If you love me, you will obey my commands. I want you to feel the weight of that. We can't just say we love God and then go live however we want. That's not one of the options. The importance of living for him, pursuing holiness. Not just avoiding sin, but pursuing a life of love and towards, you know, love towards others. I mean, that's all the verses you have. I want you to understand, I literally could have put up a hundred verses and just gone through them. I mean, I, you know, so much of my prep was just working through, okay, which one of these verses? This is so much of the Bible as you study it. We love to study the ideas of grace and forgiveness, but then almost every book turns the corner, now live it out. You can't just say, I know this, and then not live it out. If you say you love God, you will obey his commands. This is important. This is not optional. Somehow, we've made these able to coexist. I mean, there's a great example of here when I see this most is a lot of times when people, you know, apply to get married through our church. You know, you always got to sit down with a pastor and some things we work through. It's always nice, and I've gotten better of kind of just sitting in, you know, how it can get uncomfortable at times. But every time, it goes like this. And you guys believers, yes, pastor, I'm a believer. Amen. I love it. You want, you want this marriage to be centered around God? Yes, Pastor, I do. Amen. I love it. I want this to be centered around, this is a God-centered relationship, God-centered marriage. Then why are you living together and sleeping together? I told you, I got good at sitting in the uncomfortability of it. I got real good at that. Because for some reason, maybe, you know, oftentimes as a Christian atheist, it's the first time dawning on them, huh, like it just seems completely compatible. Yeah, I say I'm a Christian, but yeah, I don't, I don't do this the way he tells me to. 
And I help them understand, look, you need to bring these together. What you say, what you know about God has to inform your life. How did this happen? So much of God's call on our life is we experience, look, I'm not pushing works. I'm not saying you all need to be good enough or God doesn't love you. That's not the point. But as a believer, if you experience that grace, you should begin to pursue him and to look more like him. How did this happen? When so much of the Bible is all about how to live this out. It's crazy. I want to read a quote. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Some of you that quote's familiar. Now I know which one of you were listening to DC Talk growing up. I was on an old DC Talk Jesus, Jesus Freak album. Brendan Manning. Did this happen? And part of that, even that name Jesus Freak, I think that's a part of the reason. So to be a Christian, the definition of be a Christian, living it out, is to be different. Why don't we live differently? Because we don't want to stand out. You don't want to be a Jesus freak. You don't want to be that weirdo that doesn't get drunk at the staff parties. You don't want to be that weirdo. I mean, I remember my family was so like amazed. How are you not living with your girlfriend yet? Like, but we just want to look like everybody else. We don't want to stand out. But if you are committing to Christ, it is a commitment to stand for him and you will stand out. So if you're not willing to stand out and you don't want to be one of them crazy Jesus freaks that just takes it too far, you're never going to get there. If that is just the point of your life to still just pursue pleasure, you're just a workaholic like everybody else. You can make just as much money so you can get, you know, he with the most toys wins. If that's your point, I want you to understand the importance of God's call on your life to avoid sin, but I want you to understand as clear as day, that is incompatible. You cannot pursue that life and be a Christian. I think part of how this happened is we have a poor definition of what it means to be a believer. We have defined being a believer, you know, somebody who tries to be a good person and, you know, sometimes goes to church as long as I'm not too busy and the weather's nice. I mean, how many people I talk to, this is your hope. Are you a Christian? And their answer goes something along the lines of this. Well, I haven't tried, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a good person. And that usually means, well, I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm pretty much there. And I go to church. Listen, that definition falls so short. One, the standard is so short. Did you hear our call isn't to just simple morality? It's to holiness, not just being a halfway decent person, but hey, nobody's perfect. We are called to holiness. We are called to a relationship with him, not religion. So many people think they're, they're a Christian because you've had a little bit of religion in your life. You know how many times I've heard, oh, are you a Christian? Well, I was raised going to church. I was raised, and they cite a little bit of religious activity. Listen, I don't care if you go to church. Let me backtrack. I'm a pastor. I still want a job, so continue to show up. I think it is important. I would like a job in 2019. That's one of my resolutions. But if it is your hope that you think you're good with God just because you go to church, you're missing the point. I love, this is one of my favorite passages. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 
So this is the Old Testament. When you see sacrifice, burnt offerings, that was just their religious activity. You know, for us, you could probably say, you know, for I desire steadfast love, not just church attendance. I desire knowledge of God, not just going to a Bible study. But so many people think, oh, I'm good. I'm a Christian. Why? Oh, I got some, I got some religious activity. I go to church. I think church is good. Both of those things are commanded by God in the Old Testament. But if you divorce them from your life, if you divorce that from your love for God, you've totally missed the point. God wants you to love him. He wants you to pursue him, not just go to church a little bit, try to be a half-decent person. And the thing I want to kind of get after right now is even just the very term believer, I think is a little messed up. I've been trying to not say this. Oh, he's a believer. I'm a believer. I mean, we just put all our hope. Why are you a Christian? Well, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again, suffered under Pontius Pilate, rose again. So what? You know who else is a believer? Satan. By that definition, Satan's a believer. We have all our hope. Oh, I believe in God. I believe Jesus died for my sins. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Simply just knowing Jesus died for you. Are you a, dis- are you a believer or are you a disciple? God doesn't want just believers. You know what Christians were known as out of the gate? People of the way. They were known for their life, that they looked like Jesus, that they were different from the world. That's what they were known as. Not all, those are just believers, people that you know, know this one fact. God doesn't want you to just believe. Listen, belief is essential. Now, I'm not too down on that term. Belief is essential it is a necessary part. It just better not be the only part in your life. Belief separated from your life is an issue. They are linked together. I want you to wrestle with that. How you're living your life doesn't match up with your knowledge. You need to hear from me clear as day. How you live your life matters. Not only is it important, I want to read one more passage to you. It is important to live a life of holiness. It is impossible not to. I mean, that's some of what I want you to take away, and I want to look at another verse with you. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. For whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Listen to this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I want you to feel the weight of that. I mean, that is brutal. So we look at our lives. I'm not just saying, yeah, it's important you should do this. The Bible says it's impossible not to. There's no one born of God can keep on sinning. And John's like, it doesn't even make sense. God has changed you. He has made your nature, your spirit, like that of Christ that has to spill out of you. If it never spills out of you, 
Something should be going off in your head. Something's not right here. I mean, he's saying, look, a life of sin and being a Christian are incompatible. These can't coexist. He's taking this, oh, I'm just a messy sinner, you know, I, I'm no good, but I'm still a believer. He takes that off the menu. That's not one of the options for our life. It is incompatible with who God is. Even that quote, you know, people, I'm not a Christian because there's so many hypocritical Christians. In light of this verse, there's probably far less hypocritical Christians than we realize and just far more hypocrites that think they're Christians. You know, I was like, oh, I'm a nominal believer. Nominal believer doesn't even make sense in light of this. I mean, half the time, you know, people, even in my life, there's times I was a nominal believer. You know what I was? A non-believer. I wasn't a Christian. I just thought, oh, I'm fine. This easy believism. Part of it, I think, is even, you know, I'm to blame for part of this. I want so bad for people to experience heaven, to experience forgiveness, and so we boiled it down to where if you just believe this on some level and say a prayer, you're in. And so I'm just chasing people to say a prayer. And how many people, well, I just prayed a prayer as a kid. Okay, you're in. There's your get out of, there's your get out of hell free card. Let me punch your ticket to heaven. Okay, you prayed a prayer when you're four, bam. Okay, you're in, good. It doesn't matter if you meant it, if you didn't give your life to him. Just, just believe it on some level, pray the prayer, boom. And that's what we're just chasing. God isn't chasing people that can just, you know, believe on some level and then maybe pray a prayer, do a little religion. God is chasing disciples, people that are gonna give their life to him. You've gotta understand the difference of that. It is important to live a life of holiness. It is impossible not to. And let me be clear what it isn't saying. Look, John dresses this early in his letter. I'm not saying that a believer can't sin. That's not what it says. It says, as a believer, you can't make a practice of sinning. Who here, raise your hand, has sinned in this life? Put your hand down. Who here has sinned as a believer? Put your hand down. Who here sinned in our parking lot this morning as somebody cut you off? Come on, I know you get for real. All right, every, let's pray for these folks real quick. John says it very clearly. Look, I'm not saying you're perfect. John says, look, he who says he has no sin calls God a liar. So as a believer, it clearly is possible for us to sin. John is dead clear. The difference is we can't make a practice of sin. The guy who translate, like one of the guys that helped translate this version, you know, this English standard version, said this was one of the hardest verses for them to translate. Because I don't want you to be confused. That's where I'm praying for clarity. I'm not saying as a believer, you never sin, and then everybody in here is doubting their salvation. Wait a minute, I sinned. Am I a son of the devil? Like, that is not my hope. What it says is you can't live a life of sin. Make a practice of sin. That's what it's saying. So I don't want Christians to doubt whether they're really saved. What I do hope is people who think they're Christians and have some security because they, you know, punched their ticket somewhere along the way, realize, wow, I don't really know God. I'm not really living for him. I just fell into easy believism, a, you know, a get out of hell free card. If that is you, you know what works plays 
the place of works, it doesn't save you. I'm not saying be a good enough person and God will love you. It says if we embrace the love of God where we are, nobody deserves that. God will forgive you. And it says he will put his seed in you. The light of God will then begin to shine out of you. What is the place of holiness and works in our life according to 1 John? It's evidence. It doesn't earn your salvation, but it does help you see evidence in your life that Jesus is in there. It's quite simple, right? If Jesus never spills out of me, is he in me? So I do want you to think, man, I have just lived my life for myself, not for him, and question. That's what John begs us to question. Man, am I really his? I mean, I want to be very clear, so I want to make sure we don't get off track. Someone help you get on track with this illustration. Pun intended. Train, get it? You like puns? I like puns. Yeah. So here's the deal. I want to make sure you're on track. Here's what I'm saying. Here's how, to, how do we wrap our heads around holiness and what it is. I want to make sure we have the right order. Here's what God says. Look, you need to love him and believe in him. And do not like trains on a track. You cannot separate that from your life. If you say you believe in Jesus and have genuine saving belief, it will affect your behavior. It will affect your behavior. If you like L's over B's, I like this one. You can't say you love God and it not impact your life. You need to have those linked together, but in the right order. The engine, what drives your holiness, what drives your life has to be a love for God. And here's what I think would happen. Some of you were raised in a system where those were messed up and out of order. So many people were raised, what does it mean to be a believer? Well, you don't cuss, you don't drink, you don't go R-rated movies, you vote for this party, and you, you, know, you don't have any sex. Like, okay, that's what a believer is. And so we made that a believer. And it was all behavioralism. Some of you I know were raised in that. Where To be a Christian was these behaviors. And then somehow they made that be a Christian. You should reject that. The Bible rejects that. You should rightfully reject being a Christian is this set of behaviors. We rejected the problem, but we fixed it in the wrong way. Instead of separating those cars, you know, instead of switching those cars, we separated them. God calls us not to have an outside-in faith. If you were raised in a place where it was outside-in, it was all behavior, fixed the behavior, and somehow that made you a believer, that's wrong. You know what the fix to an outside-in faith is? Inside-out. That's what God calls us to. Give me your heart. I want you to love me and pursue me so it spills out of you. But what did we do? We separated it. Instead of taking an outside-in faith and making an inside-out, we just made an inside faith. No, I'm a believer. I love him. And we've divorced it from our life. That is not the way to go. You have to link these, but keep them in the right order. 1 John, that verse that I read, the beginning of 1 John, you know what he says? My hope is that you may not sin. That is my hope for you. That all of us, again, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. The sin in your life that you take it serious. That you root it out. One of those verses says, what do we do with sin? We put it to death. Somehow we're just messy sinners and we just made it, you know, optional that, hey, we have sin in our life. 
Sin is just kind of like, you know, an annoying little part of our life. You know, I feel like, you know, when we moved onto this property, we treat, we treat sin like the geese that were on this property. You know, they were just like a little bit annoying. They crapped everywhere, and it was a little messy. But, you know, hey, it was just kind of a part of the property. And a lot of times, I couldn't remember what they do. Do you know what geese do to make noise? I want to say quack, and it's not quack. So they honk. So geese honk. So that was the thing. Now, we'd be in the service, and geese would just be honking everywhere. And it was just like this annoying pest. And that's how we, we treat sin in our life. It's just like this like a little annoying thing. And so what do we do whenever they were crapping everywhere? You know, we just got a new crop of deacons. Deacons aren't aware of all their job description, but that's one of them. Like, go chase them geese. You know, so we'd send the deacons out like, come on. And that's what we do with sin. It's just kind of like this, like a little annoying thing. It's a part of our life, and we try to shoo it away. We try to clean up some of the effects. We shouldn't treat sin like just annoying geese that show up and they're just inconvenient. We need to treat sin like stink bugs. It is all out war. You are a gross alien bug that you are, get out of my house. But no, we don't. You need to put it to death. Don't worry, we didn't kill the geese. Like that's where the illustration stops down, you know. Deacons don't kill geese, they just shoo them. But you get the point. Look, listen, if there's sin in your life, it's call, we are called to crucify it, to put it to death like no quarter. Yes, you might need to break up with somebody. You may need to get new friends. You should stop going to that place. You need to do whatever you can to put this to death. Do not tolerate it. It is not an option for us as Christians. Do whatever you have to to see the importance of sin in your life, but get the order right. I want you to see the importance, but the whole point is to love God better. I'm not just preacher man railing on you, you know, stop sleeping around, stop, you know, getting drunk, stop. I'm telling you, I want you to experience God, and when sin is in our life, it hinders that. One more verse I want to give you. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you get that? Understand, when we walk in sin, it inhibits our ability to see God. The scriptures say, you know, part of it, you know, we wonder, it talks about our sin. You know, and when we walk in holiness, God's love is perfected in us. So, so many of us are just sitting there feeling like, oh, I don't see God. God's not moving in my life. And we're living a life completely apart from him. Like, do we really think God is our father? We can live however we want and then expect God to just reward us. It's crazy. I want you to love God so much that you obey his commands and it spills out of you. Because if you don't, if you want to just live a life of sin, one, man, am I even really a believer and two, it talks about my prayers are going to be hindered. Like, I won't experience the love of God in my life. I won't be able to see God. My hope for you. John says, look, these sins, obeying them, are not burdensome. They are just ways to help us to see God better. As we come into Christmas, John the Baptist, he was the forerunner to Jesus, his job was to help people be ready to meet Jesus. Do you know how he did that? He preached a message of repentance. 
If you want to experience God, if you want to see him in your life, we need to repent. Some of you may be for the first time. As a non-believer, know the order. I'm not saying get holy and then God will accept you. I'm saying wherever you are, repent. Walk in holiness. So this Christmas, as you head into the Christmas season, you will see him and experience his love being perfected in your life. I'm gonna close in prayer and I pray and hope God was convicting you of something that you know in your life isn't right. Don't tolerate it. Repent of it. Not just feel bad about it. Repent of it and turn towards God and experience him come into your life that you would see him this Christmas. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I do pray for clarity, God, that we would all see and know the difference, God, that I'm not just railing on sin, that, God, we are all called to a relationship with you, that we would see the sin in our lives for what it is, a barrier to fellowship in relationship with you. God, help us all as we sit in here knowing the things in our life that just aren't right, that we would see it for what it is, that we would be convicted of that. God, we repent turn our lives over to you that we would see you. In Jesus' name, amen.